Bruce chapter 2 this morning, please. Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews chapter 1, the writer of Hebrews, by the Holy Spirit, has shown us that God has spoken to us through His Son, uh, Jesus Christ. We have seen that He is much better than the angels. Matter of fact, uh, we have uh, seen that He is actually God in the flesh. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8 says about the Lord Jesus Christ, but unto the Son, that's Jesus Christ, He, that's God, saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. So God himself calls the Son God. And the writer of Hebrews tells us how much glorious this revelation that we have is, even far above the Old Testament glory. And then uh, in chapter 2, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore... Uh, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape? If we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for your word this morning. God, I thank you for the glorious time we've had in your house already with Sunday school class for the adults and children and singing of praises unto your name and worship you the word going forth thank you father help us to apply and submit to that which we have learned and and father i pray for the filling of your spirit that you would just help me to uh, teach and preach that uh, which we have it here in your word this morning Um, help and guide in that i pray for my dear wife fill her with your spirit relaying the message in sign help those in the nursery father fill with thy spirit watching the children and And God, uh, we are very blessed uh, that you have sent your son to die for us and that he has risen again and at your right hand. We are very blessed to have the word of God before us, this great revelation of the salvation which you have prepared uh, before all time and you have prepared this salvation for all. Father, we thank you and we praise you. And Lord, I pray that as your word goes forth that we would appreciate the gospel. Father, perhaps one hearing it who's not sure they're saved would trust you 
to be their Savior today and become a child of God, be what your word calls born again. Father, for all of us who have trusted you, it, it, it is only that uh, that makes us born again. It's only faith. It's only that trust in you. By that we become children of God and help us, Lord, to behave like children, to walk like children as we were learning this morning. Father, to, uh, to serve you since you have bought and paid for our redemption. Uh, Father, please help us and guide us in these things. And Lord, we do pray and ask these things in Jesus' name uh, and for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I have entitled the message this morning, uh, So Great Salvation, So Great Salvation. And we're kind of turning here now toward our, our mission, missions focus for the next couple weeks. And uh, the gospel indeed is a great message. Uh, there is no greater message than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is the central message of every Bible-believing church, amen? Uh, all the Old Testament uh, points forward to Jesus Christ. The, the New Testament points back to what he's done and accomplished for us. And ahead to his coming again. So uh, we rejoice in this word that God has given us. As the writer of Hebrews writes this letter, he's writing to the Hebrew Christians. Of course, this would be Hebrews Christians in the church. And he has some concerns. You see, the Hebrews, the Jews, had a long-standing relationship with God in the Old Testament, which involved, of course, the temple worship and all the sacrifices, the things that God had commanded them to do. Uh, and so they had done that for centuries, centuries. And all those Old Testament sacrifices we know from the Word of God could never take away sin. As a matter of fact, this very letter tells us that. They were simply pictures to point forward to Jesus Christ. Uh, and... Uh, but this temple worship is ingrained in their culture. It's ingrained in their very being. When you've been involved in something like that for so long, it's hard to let it go. But you see those pictures, all those sacrifices now, have served their purpose for, the, for this time here. Uh, because Christ came. The one that they pointed to, he came. And he gave the one sacrifice for sins forever. And, and he rose again. And so they don't have the purpose that they had for them in the Old Testament. Now because what they said was coming came. And now Jesus said when they, of course, they, he was rejected by his people. And by the way, by the Gentiles also. He said, therefore your house is left unto you what? Desolate. God's blessing's not on the house there anymore. The worship uh, there was not blessed anymore when Christ was rejected. And now the writers of the New Testament are, are preaching and writing that, listen, 
there's a change now. We, we are to worship Christ. And so the writer of the Hebrews has this concern. Writer to the Hebrews has this concern. He's concerned that there are some Jewish Christians. Now they're in the church. Perhaps they're Christian by name. But he's concerned that some of the Jews in the church haven't actually let go of the temple worship type stuff. They haven't trusted in Jesus Christ alone yet. They still think that going to heaven or something has something to do with being faithful to this temple worship. The writer of Hebrews is concerned about that. And so he addresses them sometimes. He's also concerned about, about Jewish Christians who do get saved. That they might think that, well, now I serve Jesus Christ by doing all the temple stuff again. I, I grow as a Christian by being faithful to doing all the, all, all the temple stuff. You know, and if somebody gets saved, they need to become a Jew also you know, and, and grow in that. He doesn't want them going that way either. And so at times he'll address that. He's concerned about them both as he writes. And I think this particular passage we're looking at, he's concerned more on the salvation end of it at this point. And of course the individual context of each one, as always, uh, teaches us what he's talking about here. So we see, first of all, this great, so great salvation. I love missions because we have such a great message to share. Somebody shared that message with me one day, and I got born again. And that was over 30 years ago. And uh, I've been a Christian ever since. And by the way, if you, if you got born again, you're a child of God forever. <laughs> and I'm thankful for that. So we send that message out. So as we learn from this passage this morning, we see, first of all, number one, Salvation through Christ uh, uh, must be received because Jesus Christ saves from the greatest loss. Salvation uh, uh, through Christ must be received because, number one, Jesus Christ saves from the greatest loss. In verse 3 of chapter 2 here, uh, the scripture says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Of course, salvation, the word means deliverance, has the idea of being delivered uh, from something or even saved to something. <laughs> being delivered. Uh, when you're saved, you're what? Translated from the, you know, you're, you are uh, translated from the kingdom of, of darkness into the kingdom of light, into, in, into Christ's kingdom. You're, it's a transferring. How shall we escape if we neglect? This truth that God has sent His Son to die for us and rise again. And that salvation comes by faith in Him. Uh, he says there in, uh, uh, in uh, verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 2, He says, uh, For unto the angels He hath not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. So He speaks a little bit about the angels and such. He said in chapter 1 that Christ is far greater than the angels. You see, the Jews realized that in some way, the angels had a part in this uh, delivering of, God's delivering of a law to Moses. We're not told the details of that, but the Bible says it was ordained by angels into the hand of a mediator. Of course, that mediator would be Moses. They had something to do with that. So they associated angels in the receiving of the law. Uh, and uh, it's far greater 
even than angels, is Jesus Christ. Uh, you see, because the law was delivered by Moses and by whatever, whatever, whatever purpose those angels had in that. But who delivered uh, the, the New Testament truths? Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ did. Uh, delivering this truth. Now we understand that the Old Testament truths were given to Israel. And if they would follow them, they would, they would receive many temporal or earthly blessings. If they did not obey them, they would receive chastisements from God and lose many temporal or earthly blessings. The law, the Ten Commandments, nowhere in the scripture tells us anyone is to get to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments. It's not in there. That's not how you get to heaven. The law was given what? That we might have, for by the law is what? The knowledge of sin. The law was given so that we get done reading the Ten Commandments all the other hundreds of commandments that are attached to them, we're supposed to say, oh man, I'm a sinner. I don't have a chance. That's why God gave the law. Right. But if I got to be like this and do this, help, I need a Savior. That's exactly what's God's point. Okay? When you've come to that, the law has done its job. It's now ready to hand you off. To what? To faith in Jesus Christ alone apart from your good works, which you saw in the law, would never measure up. And I saw. It's to hand us off to faith alone in Jesus Christ. They failed miserably. Uh, and, uh, and thus Israel, you know, the northern kingdom was carried away uh, and, uh, and defeated by Assyria and carried away. And the southern kingdom, Judah, was defeated and carried away into Babylon. Show, showed their failure there. And... Uh, uh, And so these things uh, were steadfast. And by the way, what God said in the law would happen, what? Happened, didn't it? He did it. He enforced it. And if what Christ brought us in the, in the gospel is greater than the law, if God made sure the law was fulfilled, how much more do you think he's going to make sure it's fulfilled what his son has done on this earth? Oh, for sure. It'll be, it'll be fulfilled. And so that's why we need to pay attention to what the Bible says about salvation in Jesus Christ and living the Christian life. Because just as we've seen the Old Testament scriptures fulfilled, which were delivered just by Moses and in some form by angels, this New Testament truth was delivered who? From who? By Jesus Christ. <laughs> and to his followers. Far greater. Far greater. And so there's a great, a great uh, lesson to learn there. What? He says, we, and, and by the way, he says, how shall we escape? The answer is found in Hebrews 12, 25. Uh, says, see that we refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Did you get that? So the Bible answers itself there. How shall we escape? You won't. If you don't come to, for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, there will be no escape for you. Jesus said, I am what? The way. He didn't say, I am a way. He said, I am the way, 
the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is no escape uh, apart from Jesus Christ. You say, well, escape from what, preacher? Well, escape from the power, penalty, and presence of your sin, really, in my sin. The penalty of sin is hell. The Bible very clearly teaches that. Uh, clear, very clearly teaches that. In Hebrews, uh, in Hebrews 2, 7 here, talks about man. He made man a little lower than the angels. Uh, crowns him with glory. So angels are more powerful than human beings, is what he's saying there. And just set him over the works of thy hands. Of course, this is reference to, to, to Genesis. God blessed them. And said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Genesis 1.28 And subdue it and have dominion over it. But then the Bible goes on to say in Hebrews 2.8 But now we see not yet all things put under him. What happened? The earth was to be so totally subdued and subjected to man. But all the earth, it seems, is not all under mankind right now. If you think it is, just go out and say hello to a grizzly bear sometime with three cubs. See how much that, see how much that bear is ready to submit to you, okay? Uh, now, there's some things that are different since the Garden of Eden. But what happened? We know the fall. Adam and Eve sinned against God. The earth was cursed. Man lost his dominion that God had intended for him. And who's the God of this world according to the Bible? Satan. He's that. He, he appears as, can appear as an angel of light. He's the God of this world. And man lost that, that dominion that he had. So we need to be... And with that loss, with that disobedience, and that uh, disbelief, uh, and that... Uh, that uh, uh, rebellion against God, that, that, uh, that deception, Eve was deceived. Adam, in a sense, rebelled. He knew what he was doing. But through all that, mankind fell. And we became sinners. And there is a punishment for that. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. Revelation 20, 14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. See, there are two deaths. There's a physical death and there's a spiritual death. And that spiritual death is called the lake of fire. And uh, it's a real place. And the Bible teaches of it. In Matthew 25, uh, Jesus is, uh, is judging the nations there. And he has uh, commended some who have believed. And then he addresses those who have not. In Matthew 25, 41, he says, Depart from ye, cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels did you know God didn't make hell for people what made for people he made hell for the devil and his angels and by the way the Bible says it's what everlasting fire everlasting fire the only reason people go, go there is because they don't choose God's way and, they, and therefore they find no other way of escape God made a way through Christ through Christ, the only way. Hell is a place of everlasting suffering. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest night or day. Day or night. Some people like to say it's annihilation. 
Oh, we believe that the lost, at the end of, you know, things, they eventually do get cast into a lake of fire, but then they're burned up. That's not what my Bible says. My Bible says they suffer forever. Think about people who say that. Well, if that was the case, then all, then, all, then all the Christian martyrs that got burned by the stake had burned by the stake had to go through hell before they went to heaven. If hell's just getting burned up, then they, they had to get burned up first before they went to heaven. So they went both to hell and heaven, I guess. No, no. Hell's a different place. It's not just being burned up. That happened to Christians. No, hell is a place of eternal suffering, eternal torment. It's where you're given a supernatural body that will be able to stay alive during that. Otherwise, you would be burned up. Folks, that's an awesome thought. That's why our message is so important. We must never forget that. We must never forget, never forget that. In Luke chapter 16 and verse 22, or 22 and 23, we read, we read, and the rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments. You see, that's that terrible place. Hell is one of the best reflections of God's holiness. I've used this illustration before. I'll use it again this morning. We have a harder penalty in our laws for people who murder someone than for people who lie. Matter of fact, most of the time we don't have any, any penalty for people who lie. Why is that? Because we all do it. <laughs> See, we're kind of used to that. We can associate with lies. So we don't penalize that. But most human beings can't associate with first degree murder. So if you do that, you're getting really bad penalty. The worst that we got. Well, guess how much sin God can associate with? Zero. You see, we're so far away from murdering someone, most of us would think. <laughs> I'll just leave it there. We're so far away from murdering someone that we think, well, they, they, they deserve to die. And by the way, according to the Bible, they do. But the Bible says if you're angry with your brother without a cause, what? You're a murderer. <laughs> but we're so far away from actually doing it, well, then they deserve death, you know. But not, not lying, you know. I've done that. We've all done that. And so we have leaner, more lenient penalties for those sins that we're more associated with. It's kind of like the stars, you know. Look up at the sky. They all look pretty much about the same size. But you know, some of those are thousands, thousands and millions of times bigger than the other ones. You know why they all look the same? Because they're so far away. And when it comes to being saved and going to heaven or hell, God is so far away from all sins that they all look the same. If you told one little, what we call a one little white lie, or you're a, you've killed a thousand people and you're a mass murderer, God see, he's so far away from sin that he sees them as the same. That's why the, the Bible tells us in Revelation, but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death. That's why God put that in there. Just so we'd know 
There is an excuse for sins zero in the Bible. When it comes to get, they all need to be forgiven. If all that ever happened on earth, all the sin that ever happened on earth was somebody told one little white lie, and that's all that ever happened, Jesus Christ would have had to come to this earth and die for that lie. And rise again so that person could be forgiven and get to heaven. If that's all that ever happened. It's a great, that's why in 2 Corinthians 1.10 we read about our salvation. Who delivered us from so great a death. When you got saved, you got delivered from the second death, just like that. And he doth deliver, he saves you from the practice of sin now. In whom yet, in whom we trust, he will yet deliver. One day he's coming for us and we'll be out of here. And there will be no sin whatsoever in heaven. Hell is a terrible place. We pray for the evacuees often. We've prayed for that. And they have, uh, they've gone through a great tragedy. Uh, there were a few lives lost. Thankfully, uh, not as many as there could have been. But yet what? They lost all. Many of them are you know, still, they're, they're still in the campgrounds and stuff and, and still effectually in, in, in some way homeless. They don't have their, lost everything they had. But what if the fire came and they couldn't get out what if they couldn't evacuate what then what if they'd been warned but thought oh it won't affect me and then they stayed and waited too long until they were surrounded by the fires and now the first responders can't even come what then see that's tragic isn't it that's tragic and yet even that tragic thought Though they be burned up physically in the flames. It's not near as tragic as if they weren't saved, they would die in the flames and they would open up their eyes in the flames. This is what the Bible teaches. That's why God made a way of salvation for us. So we can live for Him, love Him, be delivered from all the effects of our sin, not just the penalty practice of it and all that first of all God delivers from such a great death there's that verse in Revelation 21.8 and Revelation 14.11 it's an an eternal place Uh, everlasting punishment Matthew uh, 25.46 everlasting punishment number two number two Jesus Jesus Christ saves by the greatest love Uh, we need to uh, get this message out this salvation through Christ must be received because number two, Jesus Christ saves by the greatest love. Verse nine, he was made a little lower than the angels, that's Jesus Christ, for the suffering of death. You see, Christ, what? He became a man. And he was made a little lower than the angels. The Bible says angels are more powerful than men. They don't have any more honored position than men. Human beings are made in the image of God. Angels are not. In that sense, we are above angels. Matter of fact, Hebrews 1.14, this very letter, calls angels our servants. Angels are ministers for them who shall be heirs of salvation. You see. Now they, don't, they, now they, they serve us. They don't serve us at our bidding. They serve us at God's bidding. <laughs> oh, you mean I get to boss around an angel's preacher? No, you know, we're, not, we're not going there. Uh, uh, 
we, we, we'd probably have the world destroyed by now if we, if we had that power. Uh, no. he, he, and, and he put on a body, why? For the suffering of death. That's a pretty awesome thought. You see, because you can't make an, 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 an eternal, uh, omniscient, omnipotent, uh, uh, powerful God die. Unless he somehow, somehow steps down. And Christ put on a body so that he, being one with God, yet could die. Yet could die. For the suffering of death. Verse 10 of Hebrews 2, for it became him, or it was just like God. It was just like his character. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things. Revelation tells us that's Jesus Christ. For whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. God says, I'm going to send my son down there. And God said, I'm going to put on flesh and go down there. He said both of them. <laughs> uh, hard to understand. Impossible for us to fit in here. And I'm going to put on a body and die and go through all the sufferings that a human being goes through. And going to make him perfect through sufferings. He's finished the human experience. Jesus Christ left heaven went into the womb of a virgin. Remember that? And so, from conception to death, and by the way, resurrection after death, Jesus completed the human experience. <laughs> Didn't skip a breath of it. For you and I. And why? You see, the Bible story, we read that tragedy about, about the Garden of Eden and people going to hell. But the rest of the Bible is not about how men are so dreadfully sorry and now they're just trying to find God and get back to that wonderful fellowship they had. The Bible's not about that. The, the remainder of the Bible is, is an account of, uh, of God trying to find uh, uh, God getting back to man. It's an account of God reaching down to man to seek and save the lost by providing forgiveness and sins through faith in Jesus Christ his son. See, because the Bible says there's none that seeketh after God, no, not one. But thank God Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. So what's God saying? If I don't go down there, if I don't do what I plan to do, mankind will not have, have, have a second thought about me. They'll just perish and go off into hell. But I got a plan. I'm going to go down there. I'm going to send my son down there. He's going to die and rise again. And when he rises again, he's going to draw people to him. Jesus said, no man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And by the way, when God's drawing you, that's time to come. That's time for you to yield and come to him for salvation. Because Jesus said, if he's not drawn, you can't come. Oh, I'll think about God later. If you're thinking about Him now, you better come. Because if, you're, if you have an inkling of wanting to get saved, of coming to God for the forgiveness of your, sin, of your sins, that's God doing it, not you. And He may not do it tomorrow. So you need to come if He's drawing you. 
You need to get saved if he's drawing you. Great love. The Son of Man has come what? To seek and save that which was lost. If I, if I lift it up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. John 3, 16, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, what? But that the world through him might be saved. That's why he sent him. So we might be saved. So we might be saved. <clears throat> he saves by the greatest love. And the great love Jesus Christ has. Who being in the form of God, that's Jesus Christ, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He's on equal standing with God. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. That's what he did. By the way, that's great love. No, greater love hath no man than this than a man lay down his life for his friends think about this you know Jesus said uh, O Jerusalem Jerusalem thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee how often would I have gathered thy children together even as a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings and you would not Can I paint a sad picture this morning? Suppose we had a picture up here. On one side of the screen is a chicken. On the other side of the screen is a mom, a human being. And if I had to ask the folks, which of those young ones has the greatest percentage chance that their mom's going to do all they can to survive and have the best life they can live. Which one would we have to pick? We'd have to pick the chicken. Because we have moms today that kill their children. And dads that want, want their moms to kill their children. We don't find that with the chicken. She defends hers. Matter of fact, I was... Uh, an illustration <clears throat> there was an article in National Geographic several years ago that provided a penetrating picture of God's wings and notice that God compared himself to what? the chicken <laughs> when it came to the motherly instincts uh, National Geographic uh, had a picture of, of, of being brought under God's wings. A forest fire went through Yellowstone National Park. Uh, the rangers went up the mountain and one of them found this bird, this, this mother chicken, literally petrified in ashes, perched uh, uh, statuesquely on the ground at the base of a tree. Somewhat sickened by the eerie sight, he knocked the bird over with a stick when he struck it, three tiny chickens scurried from under their dead mother's wings. The loving mother, keenly aware of impending disaster, had carried her offspring to the base of the tree 
and gathered them under her wings, instinctively knowing that the toxic smoke would rise. She could have, she could have flown safely, but she had refused to abandon her babies. When the blaze had arrived and the heat had singed her small body, the mother remained steadfast. Because she had been willing to die, those under the cover of her wings would live. That's an amazing thing. But not as amazing as God's love for us. That he would leave heaven and die for us, each one of us, and rise again. <clears throat> and thirdly and finally, and I'm going to wrap it up a little bit. I'm not, I don't want to go too long. Thirdly and finally, <clears throat> I lost it too, Brother Dennis, but I found mine. Okay. <laughs> uh, thirdly and finally, Jesus Christ saves to the greatest life. He saves to the greatest life. He made the captain of our salvation perfect through sufferings. Hebrews 2.10 Verse 11 For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. What's this saying there? When you get saved, Jesus Christ came and he made salvation for everyone. When you trust Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you are set apart. Sanctification also has, a, has an application for salvation as well as Christian growth. When you are saved, you're, in a sense, you are set apart as God's child. That will never change. You have a continual sanctification process which will make you more and more like Jesus Christ. <laughs> but yet when you get saved... And you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Faith alone. He sets you apart saying, you're mine. You become one in that fellowship. You're in the family of God when you get born again. And God will never deny you. Because you have received His Son. There's that fellowship. You're saved to this greatest life. Uh, Galatians 3.26 For you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. See, God made it so simple. That's why the writer of Hebrews was so, so concerned. It's not faith and becoming a Jew. It's not faith and getting circumcised and becoming a Jew. And keep, it's not faith and keeping the commandments because you'll fail at the second one. And so will I. It's just faith in Him and what He did. And then we're saved. See, when you get saved, something, someone else does something for you that you can't do yourself. That's what getting saved is, you see. That's what Jesus did for us. That we might be born again. We might have a home in heaven. He died for us and rose. He lived the perfect life. The Bible talks about, he offered a more, in Hebrews, a more perfect tabernacle. You see, our bodies are tabernacles. Mine isn't perfect, neither is yours, because we have sinned. But there was one person who walked into tabernacle and his tabernacle was perfect. And by the way, it still is. His body was perfect because he was in it. He never sinned in that earthly, in that fleshly body. That tabernacle was perfect. And, and by the way, he's still in a body now at the right hand of the Father and it's still perfect. He offered that perfect tabernacle. The first tabernacle, because of all the sin in the temple, it wasn't perfect. Jesus Christ offered himself as, 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 as the perfect offering. That special relationship. Then in Romans 
or John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life. See that day you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? That's marked in your relationship and God's and in Jesus Christ. It's marked. I know them. This one's mine. Family. Doesn't God know everybody? Oh yes he does. Does he know everybody as family? Absolutely not. You became family the day you trust Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Turning your heart from your sin. I know you. That's why at one point he said to the lost, Depart from me, I what? Never knew you. Someone that's lost, it wasn't like they were saved and somehow got lost. No. He said, depart from me, I never knew you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. If you've ever been saved, Jesus knows you. And if you've ever been, and, and for everyone who's lost, Jesus never knew you. You never became his. Did you get that? It's only by faith. By faith alone. The writer of Hebrews wants them to get on board with this. Quit trusting in your, in your heritage, in your culture, in your baptism, in, in, in your good works, and blah, blah, blah. Trust Jesus Christ alone. Oh, you'll miss it. You'll let it slip. There'll be no escape. That's what he's saying. And for the time, I'm going to go right to the end of my message, but I think these, these verses will be a blessing to you. He quotes some scripture here and gives us some scripture uh, in uh, Hebrews uh, uh, 2 here he says uh, <clears throat> look at verse 12 well he says verse 11 for both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren isn't that a beautiful picture the moment you trusted Jesus Christ as your savior he's never ashamed to call you brethren why? Because you trusted him as your savior. You did exactly what you're supposed to do. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, Behold, I and the children which God hath given me. Now right here, the writer of Hebrews is going to give you an outline really of his, of his message about salvation and about what he's just said and about what he's yet to write in, 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 in the book of Hebrews regarding salvation. Look, now let's consider these things, what, what he's saying here. Uh, he says, uh, 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 I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I, will, will I praise thee. That's from Psalm 22, 22. That's a Psalm of David. And David, you know what he's saying there? He's talking about worshiping God in the, in the context with them that fear God. In other words, David's Old Testament. So what's he talking about? He's talking about, I look forward... To worshiping God, what? With those who believe in God. He's part of the family. David, David you know, had, had that faith, okay? He believed in the coming Messiah. He's talking about worshiping, being a part of the family. And you know what the writer of Hebrews is saying here? 
Don't miss being a part of the family. Don't let it go. Don't miss it. That's what Dave was saying. I want, I want to rejoice with the brethren. Well, guess what? The brethren now have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. If you're going to join with going to the temple without Jesus Christ, you won't be able to do this. Because God has forsaken the temple. Now you need to wake up. If you want to be able to do what David did, you need, you need to trust Christ as your Savior. And he says, uh, uh, he's, then he says uh, in Psalm 16:1, he gives that quote. Well, he says, uh, in, in, God, I'll, in, in God will I trust. He says, uh, he says uh, uh, let's get there. He says, I'll declare thy name in, uh, unto, thy, uh, unto thy brethren. Come into the, make sure you're in the family. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. You know how many times David said that in the Psalms? <laughs> Multiple times. And you know what David was always, was always emphasizing there? I will trust in him and only him. I won't trust in my abilities as king. I won't trust in my abilities to war. I won't trust in, uh, in help outside of God. I will trust in God. That's the message the writer of Hebrews, the Holy Spirit is trying to get to the Hebrews through the book. You need to trust only in God. David said that time and again. Time and again. And then look at the last one. And he says, and and. And again, uh, behold, I and the children of God have given me. This is a quote uh, from Isaiah. Isaiah. This is the last portion here. In uh, in Isaiah eight eighteen. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts which dwelleth in Mount Zion. Now, let's consider Isaiah's children. His oldest, Sha'ar Yashub. Sha'ar Yashub, if I get that pronunciation right. Sha'ar Yashub. That was his oldest son, his first son. You know what that means? You know what that name means? A remnant shall return. A remnant shall return. The name of his next son uh, was Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. No, no, Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. Try to get that pronounced here. Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. You know what that means? Swift is the booty. Sweet, uh, speedy is the prey. What was Isaiah saying at the time there by naming his sons? He named them uh, at the direction of God. They were messaged to Israel. To Israel. Uh, what, what was going on there? The Assyrian and the Babylonian captivities had not yet happened. They were coming 
Israel was, and Judah were disobedient against God. And what the names of Isaiah's son tell us is judgment is coming quickly. That's uh, Mehar Shalahasbaz. Judgment's coming quickly. Uh, Sha'ar Yeshub, that means a remnant shall be saved. Isaiah was speaking first about the contemporary situation. Judgment is coming. Assyrian Babylon, a remnant what shall be saved? That, that happened, didn't it? Judgment came, and a rem, only a remnant was saved. I mean, there we're not talking about spiritual salvation. We're talking about being, they, they didn't get killed in the siege, and they were taken away alive into, you know, to wherever they went. That was, that, that's what was for, he was first talking about. But the writer of Hebrews, by the Holy Spirit here, says, that pictured what's happening now. I've just shown you salvation comes by trusting only through your scriptures I want you to come into the family and be able to praise like David did he had that only faith in God and listen now that we're here in the New Testament times what's happened judgment is coming and what only a remnant will be saved it was only a remnant of the Jews who trusted Jesus, who got saved. They were the apostles, and, and, and they were really few among, uh, among all of the Jews. Only a remnant of them that then got saved, right? What was right of Hebrews telling them? All this thing, you need to do it. Don't let it slip. And by the way, judgment's coming. And only a remnant right now is going to be saved. Get on board. Get on board. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. And folks, I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm so glad that God offers this salvation to everyone so freely. And that all we do, I will put it this way. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. By the way, can I illustrate that a little bit? May help us understand it. Call upon the Lord doesn't mean... Oh, yeah, Lord, you can save me now. No, it means, help, Lord, save me. That's what it means. <laughs> That's what it means. Because that means your heart realizes that you're a sinner and you're going to miss heaven and wind up in that place that wasn't made for you and you don't want to be there. And when you get there, you'll be like that rich man who wishes that he could tell his family and, 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 and tell them not to come there, but he can't do it. And, and, and he can't get the message across. He wants to at least warn them, but he can't believe. He's sealed in his unbelief. That's the way everyone is that goes to hell. But if you're here now, anywhere, anywhere in this world, and you're having a desire to have your sins forgiven and get saved. That's not you. That's God. And you need to move. You need to move and get saved. And trust Christ to be your Savior. When you do that, like David, you're singing with the family. You trusted God alone like David. 
You realize how many does the Bible say actually compared to all of human humankind will be saved? Few. Great is broad is the gate leading unto destruction because many there be which many there be which go in the back. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads unto life, and few there be that find it. And when you trust God, in that moment you become part of, in a sense, a remnant, <laughs> as far as the world's concerned. You, because you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, become one of the saved. <laughs> he saves you. Isn't God wonderful? <laughs> In all that he's done for us through Christ. And so, uh, and so that's why it's so important, this mission's emphasis, that we get that mission, that, 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 that word out. If you're here and you're going to heaven, it's only one reason. It's because of what Jesus Christ did for you. Amen? And for me. That's the only reason. All the rest of it's about what? If you love me, keep my commandments, Jesus said. That's what all the rest of Christian life's about. And it's about loving others that they might see Christ in us. And they may also cry out like you did and I did one time. Lord, save me. By the way, when they do it, yep, just like that. And that's what God has for the world. That's what he did through Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for these that have, have listened to Lord and those that are online with us. Father, my heart goes out to anyone who uh, may be watching, may even uh, eventually see this message, and yet they don't know for sure if they're going to go to heaven. Father, I believe I've made it as clear as I could this morning. Your word makes it clear. In so many places, eternal life is a gift. But we have to believe. You did send Christ to die for us and rise again. We have to believe that we are condemned to hell because of our sins. We have to believe we cannot in any way save ourselves and then we'll cry out. And trust that promise, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Father, I pray that there may be one watching, there may be multiple ones watching, may be those with us now. Maybe someone here is not born again. We can't see each other's hearts. And they would just do that in their own heart. Lord, I heard what the preacher said. And I want to be saved. Please forgive me. I believe in Jesus, that he loved me and died for me and rose again. And I believe he's the son of God. And Lord, if they did that with all their heart, just one time you'd rescue them faster than we understand. And I thank you and I praise you for that, God. I thank you for the privilege to be a Christian. I thank you for the privilege to bear this message to the world. I thank you for this faithful church who supports so many missionaries, Father. I thank you for Brother Steadman coming. I thank you for our missionaries that are on the field and wanting to get back to the field. I thank you for this precious faith, this blessed message that gives life to all who receive it because it's already been bought and paid for by your blessed Son. We worship and praise thy blessed Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, bless this message and use it for your glory. And we do pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.